things you should know right off the bat. I've had four cups of coffee. I'm a little nervous. Did I mention my name's Chadi? Yeah. Oh, um, this is a podcast for imperfect people, and uh, you should know that uh, I cry in corners. True story. family, this next series of episodes of the podcast are going to be the messages I've been preaching uh, over the last uh, 2022, 2023 uh, here in my home church, Hope St. Pete. Uh, I pray that they bless you. I pray that they, I pray that they inspire you in your faith, grow you in your faith, and grow you in your feelings. Yep. Okay. Love you. Bye. <laughs> What's up, church? How are you? Come on, how are you guys doing? Good? Gosh, I'm so happy to be in the house of God today. Um, my name's Chadi. I am, uh, my, my husband and I are the community pastors here at Liberty Church, St. Pete. And guys, let me tell you, I almost did not make it here today <laughs> for a number of reasons, I'll tell you. Um, but if you don't know, we're in a, a series called Defining Moments. Defining Moments. When you encounter Jesus, you encounter life change. But also when you encounter Jesus, whew, faith is defined, freedom is defined, healing is defined, love is defined, and today we're going to define hope. And so I'm excited to talk about this, but I did not need an object lesson on hope, but the Lord felt that I did. So I don't know if you know this, but I have a day job, and my day job is I, I serve as a creative director in New York City, and so my job uh, makes me have to go to New York once a month. And uh, so it's kind of cool. You know, it's a cool job. Um, uh, but as I was flying home, I got to the airport. I spent about three hours in the airport so I could do a little work. And uh, my phone went off that my plane had gotten canceled. This was Thursday. I said, it's okay. I fly Delta. Delta is going to do me right. Um, and so I got put on another plane around 9 o'clock. I called my husband and said, I'm probably not going to make it home tonight as now they've booked me in Atlanta. And uh, my flight in Atlanta doesn't leave till about 2 a.m. And so there's a real good chance I'm going to get stuck in Atlanta. And he said, okay, well, we're just going to have peace. Everything's going to be okay. Just work on your stuff. I said, all right. So I get on that plane around 9 o'clock. I spent four hours on the tarmac. Um, there was a storm that apparently started in Tampa and ended up over LaGuardia. And I got to experience that in two different ways. And so I'm sitting there. And so you know a little bit about me. I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you. I have severe anxiety in closed spaces. I hate to fly. Um, I have a special playlist that I play. I, I read my Bible. I listen to intense amounts of worship. I have to sit in a certain type of seat because I have extreme vertigo. And so my anxiety was at a very high level. Very high level. I had been up since about 6 in the morning. And now it's, it's midnight. And our, our, around 12.30, our flight finally takes off. And now I'm praying, God, when I land, I don't know if there's going to be a plane for me. And so I land in Atlanta at 3.30 a.m. to find that my flight has been canceled. And I am now stuck in the Atlanta airport with thousands of people who apparently are also stuck in the Atlanta airport. I called my husband. I had called 10 different hotels, all of them booked. And I, that's when I lost it. You know when you just like, you no longer are crying inside like a winner, but on the outside like an auto winner? And I'm walking through the terminal, and I 
call my husband, and he's going, and he's, now he's, he's, you can hear it in his voice, he's a little concerned. And I don't know, I just, I was overcome with a peace that I did not understand. And I said to him, this is not a coincidence that I am preaching on hope, and I am in a very hopeless situation right now. And so at this point, I had been up over 24 hours, and I said, you know what, I just, I feel like I have to go lay down. And he was like, where? I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go find a corner in this airport, and I'm just going to go lay down. And so I did. It's 4.30 in the morning. I found a really sketchy corner of the Atlanta Terminal A. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I grew up in the hood, so I did my hood rat thing where I made sure all my stuff was under my jacket. And, you know, you know what I'm saying, you got to make sure. And uh, I found a non-sketchy terminal area. And... Um, I went to sleep for 45 minutes. Like, I just had to go to sleep. You ever just had to lay down? I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, just go to sleep. I felt that was stupid. Lord, I need to stand in the four-hour line with everybody else to talk to Delta. And he said, just go to sleep. So I did. I went to sleep in a very weird place, Terminal A. And around 5.15, my phone rings, and it's my husband. <laughs> Who's been on the phone with Delta for three hours and has got me on a flight home that did not exist, that was not on any radar for me. And so I get, I'm able to get on the flight, and I just start crying. I'm like, oh my God, thank you, God. I just felt so hopeless. So now I'm stuck in the airport for four more hours, and the massage place opens up. <laughs> and I went and got a massage. And then the guy, the people at the massage place is like, we have these chairs in the back. You look like you haven't slept in a while. And I said, no, I've been up for almost 30 hours. They said, you can just go back there in one of those massage chairs and go to sleep for a little bit. And I was like, won't you do it, Jesus? Won't you do it? I went and had some grits. Because, <laughs> you know, when in Atlanta, I felt hopeless, guys. I felt hopeless. It was weird because I'm not, a, I, I really do struggle with a lot of anxiety when I travel and I have to travel a lot. I mean, I have to go to Indianapolis next week. And, um, and I'm so thankful for the job that I have. I'm so thankful. But I will tell you that in that moment, I asked God, like I'm preaching on hope this week, Lord. Why, why do you have to allow me to feel so hopeless in this moment? And he said, Chadi, because before Hosanna was declared, hope was defined. Before Hosanna was declared, hope was defined. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to jump in and try to get through this message, okay? Lord, we love you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for saying yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that you didn't look at Hosanna as anything else but just a road to that cross. Lord, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your life and resurrection, for your miracles and your signs and your wonders. God, for your voice and hopelessness, Lord God, for your strength when we feel no strength. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, that this revelation be your revelation, not mine, Father God, and let my words be your words, Lord, and that we would all leave here feeling like we've changed so that we can go and be love in the world. In Jesus' mighty name, we all say, Amen. Okay, so, you know how I like to Google things. Um, hope, when I Googled it, says it's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And what that showed me is that in the temporal, hope is a feeling of expectation. But I know 
from 40 years of life and 20 years of ministry, that in the kingdom, hope is strengthening of your faith. And this is my prayer for you today. It's in Romans 15, 13, that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So as I was sitting in the airport, I was really excited. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to work on my message. And I realized quickly that the message was not about the Hosanna story which I was a little upset about, if I can be real honest. with like, you know what I need right now? I need the Hosanna Palm story. You know what I don't need? The resurrection of Lazarus death story. Like, that's sad bear. Nobody wants that story, Jesus. And he was like, I'm going to need you to read it because I have something to say about it. I said, okay. So what you might not know is Lazarus, the story of Lazarus, the one I'm going to read, is one week before the Hosanna story. One week. So we have Lazarus. He's about to be resurrected. It's going to be awesome. Jesus does this incredible miracle. Exactly one week later, he is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They say, Hosanna in the highest. They declare him as king. People are mad. He's about to go into a week, the holy week, where it's the Last Supper and all the stuff that happens. And then we head into Easter. That's where we're at in the story. We're the week before and I started to be like, God, why is this so important? Why does hope have to be defined before Hosanna was declared? And I felt like the Lord said, because man's Hosanna is fleeting. Christ's hope is forever. I'm going to say it again. Man's Hosanna is fleeting, and Christ's hope is forever. See, I believe that there are things in your life that are going to happen. And you're going to look for man's response instead of God's. It's part of our human nature. I was, man, I was looking for my husband to save me in this moment and bring peace to a situation that I could, that I was completely hopeless in. But the only person that gave me the peace that surpassed all understanding was the one who was peace. And so I want to encourage you today that Christ has a hope for you that lasts forever. And so we find the story of Lazarus. Lazarus. If you did not get your Bible reading, you're going to get it in today. So this is how I'm going to preach this. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to tell you what I felt like the Lord gave me. And then I'm going to read a little bit more and tell you how this is. We're just going to stay in the Word today because I believe the Word has power. John 11.1, we're going to start. There was a certain man who was very ill, and his name was Lazarus from Bethany which is the hometown of Mary and his sister Martha. First thing you should know is that these were Jesus' besties. These were not some randos. These were his besties. He hung out with them all the time. Okay, so just so you know, Mary did a beautiful thing for Jesus. She had anointed the Lord uh, with a pleasant-smelling oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus became deathly ill. So the sisters immediately sent a message to Jesus which said, Lord, the one you love is very ill. And Jesus heard the message. He said, His sickness will not end in death, but will bring great glory to God. As these events unfold, the Son of God will be exalted. See, what they don't know is that Jesus knows what day it is. He knows what day it is. He knows what's coming. Because he knows the end from the beginning. I want to encourage you today. Some of you are in a situation where you're crying out to God. I want you to know that he hears you, he sees you, and he's coming. Jesus dearly loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. However, after receiving these news, he waited two more days where he was. Go back. He loved them. He loved them a lot. However, after receiving the news, he waited two more days where he was. He didn't show up till four days later. 
That doesn't sound like a loving Jesus. I can't tell you how many times in my life where I've called out to God and he showed up late. Late by my terms. Late by my terms. And so I was like, God, that's messed up. Why would you show up four days late? Like, I have these conversations with the Lord. I'm like, this is dumb. Why would you show up four days late? Like, he's super dead. Like, he's not kind of dead. And just so you know, I heard this once. This is, I thought this was crazy. Like, back in the day, they'd be like, oh, he died. And then they would bury him and be like, just kidding, he wasn't dead. So, like, some people think that he didn't show up for four days just to make sure he was dead. So that if when he, you know what I mean? Like, they wanted to make sure that when he did the miracle, that he actually did the miracle. And that it wasn't like, he wasn't dead. No, he was, like, super dead. He was four days dead. Wrapped, stone-rolled, dead. I just want you to understand that. So... I like to know about numbers. I was like, well, what what does four mean? You know, I'm going to read this because I don't want to mess it up. The number four in the Bible derives its meaning from creation. On the fourth day of what we call creation week, God completed the material universe. And on this day, he brought into existence our sun, our moon, and our stars. You can find this in Genesis 1. Their purpose was not only to give off light, but to divide the day from the night, thus becoming the demarcation of of time. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew word for seasons, how many are there? Four. Moed, that's the word in Hebrew, moed. It literally is translated into the appointed time. He was four days late, or four days knowing what time it was. And so that's, I believe Jesus was making a power statement here, that God's timing is not our timing, and God's time zone is eternity. God's time zone is eternity. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. It's in Isaiah 55. I hate that verse. That's a big, why do you hate that verse? Because I always got to constantly remind myself that God's not on my time zone. He's not on Easter standard time. He's on kingdom time. And some of you guys are wondering why things are delayed in your life. It's because God knows the end from the beginning, and he's building something in you, and what he's building is hope. Well, God, how do you build hope in a delay? Because I think that sometimes when things happen fast, we think it had to do with us. And we forget that it has to do with God. And that God is the one being glorified. See, what you don't realize, or maybe you do, is that Jesus knows his followers are about to enter one of the darkest times of their life. This is going to be the first time they've ever been apart from him. They're two weeks away from being the most hopeless they will have ever been up to this point. And see, the disciples have a tendency to forget stuff that Jesus does. You ever remember that storm? Remember the storm that they were in and they were like, oh my God, we're going to die. He had just fed the 5,000 right after that. His disciples had a tendency to forget everything that he had done before. And so this was really significant. He was about to resurrect somebody from the dead. And I don't think it's coincidence that it was two weeks prior than his resurrection. He was trying to say, hey, I'm going to show you something pretty cool so that when you are the most hopeless you've ever been, you'll remember this moment. And remember that my timing is not your timing. Don't lose hope. He's the only real hope that we have. So why was waiting his response? Because most of our lives will be waiting. You ever felt like we just in a constant waiting room? When you're in kindergarten, you want to be in like the big kids class, right? And when you're in elementary school, you want to be in high school or middle school. 
Then you get middle school and you want to be in high school. Then you're in high school, you want to be in college. Then you're in college, you want that career, you want to get married. Then you get married and you're like, oh, we got to have kids. And then you're like, oh, we got to get rid of these kids. And then there's like this whole, like, we got to, you know, there's, it's like we're constantly waiting for the next. And I think Jesus is making a statement that waiting matters, but hope is found in the waiting. Hope is found in the waiting. You know, I think of it through the filter of pregnancy. When someone gets pregnant, they don't just like... There they go. There's like nine months of waiting, of growing in darkness. And God is growing something with you. It may feel dark, but it's awesome. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Jesus dearly loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. However, he received the news and he waited two more days. So here's Jesus in it is time to return to Judah. Teacher, the last time you were there, the Jews attempted to execute you by crushing you with stones. Why would you go back? Hey, dummy, this is why. This is why Jesus has to delay, because you guys are dumb. This is how I feel about the disciples. Like, bro, for real? Like, Jesus, the miracle guy, the guy who's been doing miracles with you for three years, has just said, hey, we need to go back. And you're like, that's stupid, Jesus. Why are we doing that? Think about that. Like, have you ever done that? I do that to Jesus. I did it this past week. I was mad. I still ha don't have my luggage. And I was having a full conversation with Jesus yesterday about my baggage. And I was like, in my house, like, Jesus, it would be nice if you gave me my baggage so I did not have to go and buy brand new makeup and a brand new flat iron. Like, Lord, this is not good. Why won't you just give me my baggage? And I felt like the Lord said, huh, it's really funny that you really keep calling back your baggage and I'm trying to get rid of your baggage. I was like, why now? Really? Another one? Like, can I just have a minute to vent to you, Jesus? And he was like, we don't have time. We don't have time. I don't got time for this. Grow up. And I feel like that's how Jesus talked to his disciples. I feel like he just kind of looked at him and was like, you sound dumb right now. But he didn't. He said, there are 12 hours of daylight, correct? If anyone walks in the day, that person does not stumble because he... What he or she sees the light of the world. If anyone walks at night, he will trip and fall because he does not have the light within. Jesus briefly pauses. And then finally he just looks at them because he realizes that they probably have a glassed over look. And he says, our friend Lazarus has gone to sleep, so I will be going to awaken him. And the dumb disciples go, but Lord, if he's sleeping, then he'll be all right. Like, bro, you... Like, do you ever feel like that sometimes with Jesus? I feel like that sometimes with Jesus, where Jesus is like, mm, I'm going to have to explain the baggage situation to you again. Yeah, and so we find the disciples, Lord, if he's sleeping, then he'll be all right. And Jesus said, sleep is a metaphor for death. But the disciples took him literally and did not understand. And when Jesus finally spoke plainly, he said, guys, Lazarus is dead. And I'm grateful for your sakes that I was not there when he died. And now you will see and believe Gather yourselves, and let's go to him. And then Thomas, who never has anything good to say, says, let's go so we can die with him. What? God, you know what? Like, sometimes I'm just thankful I was not born in that time. Because I would have been that disciple would have been like, shut up. You sound so stupid right now. Like, oh, my God, what? Like, he was like, this is it. This is the moment. Actually, if you know anything about Thomas, he's also doubting Thomas. He's the guy that was like, Jesus is not really alive right now. Like, bro, oh, my God, this is the only two times you're in the Bible? You sound so dumb. I don't realize how many times I think people are dumb until I preach. I just want you to know that. And then I say it a lot. Um, the Lord's dealing with my heart. Okay, here we go. Keep going. 
As Jesus was approaching Bethany, which was about two miles east of Jerusalem, he heard that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now many people had come to comfort Mary and Martha as they mourned the loss of their brother. Martha went to meet Jesus when word arrived that he was approaching Bethany, but Mary stayed behind at the house. And Martha says, Lord, if you had just been with us, my brother would not have died. Even so, even so, I still believe that anything you ask of God will be done. Oh, you know what it is to be on four days on the other side of death and to look at Jesus and be like, but even so, I want that type of faith. And Jesus looked at his friend and he said, your brother will rise to life. She said, I know, he'll rise again when everyone's resurrected on the last day. And Jesus said, I, I am the resurrection and the source of all life. Those who believe in me will live even in death. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never truly die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe this, that you are the anointed, the liberating king, God's own son. We have heard is coming into the world. And after this, Martha ran home to Mary. The second thing that Jesus did, besides delaying, is that Jesus reminded. Jesus' word, man, there's no messing with that. I was, found myself, guys, I literally found myself walking around at the Atlanta airport listening to podcasts about his word and about who he was because I felt very forsaken. I was like, Lord, I'm a pastor. Like, I do this. This is what I do, Jesus. I love you. Like I, like, I belong to you. Like, I really belong to you. Like, these other people, I don't know what they do. But Lord, this is what I do. You have forsaken me in this moment. Lord's like, this is a first world problem. Pull yourself together. And it's funny how we always think our problems are bigger than other people. And the Lord began to tell me to look around at these people. Look at that lady over there with her two little kids stuck in the airport. Look at that older couple over there, barely able to walk, standing in line. You're good. You can go sleep in a corner. And I think sometimes God will put us in delayed situations. A week away from a miracle. Two weeks away from a resurrection. Just to remind us that he's still God. I wrote down that if you're feeling hopeless, ask yourself, Am I rooted in Jesus' words? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I love Isaiah 40, 31. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Are you rooted in his word for your life? If you find yourself in a divine delay, are you rooted in his words? Not just the words of his awesomeness and his glory, but who he says you are. Because I think sometimes we start to forget who we are in moments of delay. And we start becoming hopeless and we start believing what maybe the world has said. But really I'm telling you with all that I am. He said, I am the resurrection and the source of life. Those who believe in me will live even in death. That's the God we serve. And that's the God that wants to resurrect your hope, resurrect your dreams, and resurrect your heart today. We'll go on. Come with me, Martha said. The teacher is here. She's talking to Mary. He's asked for you. And Mary did not waste a minute. 
she got up and went to the same spot where Martha had found Jesus outside the village. And the people gathered in her home, offering support and comfort, assumed she was going back to the tomb to cry and mourn. So they followed her. And Mary approached Jesus, saw him, and fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if only you have been there, my brother would still be alive. And when Jesus saw Mary's profound grief, and the moaning and the weeping of her companions, he was deeply moved by their pain and his spirit. He was intensely troubled. He said, where have you laid the body? Um, I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus where he sees me in my hopelessness and he says, where, where did you lay the body? Come and see, Lord. As they walked, Jesus wept. The next thing we see after he delayed and after he reminded is he wept. In a moment, in this moment, we see Jesus sad. Sad with empathy. Not sad in hopelessness. There's a difference between sad and hopelessness. See, sad feels, hopelessness drains. That's how you can tell the difference. If you're just sad... If sad still gives you the room to be empathetic with other people. Sad gives you the room to still see things with love. Hopelessness takes away your empathy and takes away you, you can love people. And then you've got to start asking yourself, okay, am I rooted in God's word or are my feelings surrendered as well? Feelings being surrendered to Jesus is a big deal. I know this. I have an entire podcast dedicated to crying in corners. It's literally called I Cry in Corners. I believe that Jesus was the king of understanding surrendered feelings. Just about a week later, you're going to find him in the garden crying out in the most distress he has ever been in. And yet he still looks at his betrayer and calls him friend. But we have a tendency in our feelings to become hopeless because we are not hopeless rooted in love. We are hopeless rooted in ourselves. And that's my first question to you today. If you're feeling hopeless, ask yourself, are your feelings surrendered? What does that even look like? For me, that meant when I was walking the terminal and I started to, I literally started to lose it. I literally could feel my emotions being so overwhelming. I couldn't talk to my husband on the phone. I couldn't look at people. I couldn't even talk to the lady who was trying to help me. And I literally had to will myself and say, no, I, I, Lord, you, I literally, Lord, you're my God. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And look, I've done this before. I struggle with anxiety. It's what I do. I can tell you that there were seasons in my life where I was the most sad, the most hopeless, where I had dealt with loss in a way that I wish nobody would ever have to deal with loss. And I'll tell you that in those moments, I was reminded who my God is, and I was constantly reminded who I was in him. Well, if Charlie, that sounds good for you. It's for you too. And if you don't do this, you will look at man's Hosanna instead of what God is calling you to. Because his hope is forever. Whew. I'm preaching way better than what you're giving me, but that's okay. I hear you in the back. By the way, congratulations on your baby. You look great. <laughs> so Jesus wept. And in this moment, Jesus was sad, rooted in empathy, not sad, rooted in hopelessness. I wrote this down, that feelings are good, but they're not God. Some of you are like, I just, it's because I feel it. 
I feel it. This must be God. No. Jesus wept. He didn't wail. There's a difference. That's why I think it was so uniquely beautiful that they're like, Jesus wept, and then he continued on. Well, I just have a lot of feelings. Cool. Surrender them at the cross. Ain't no one in this room going to have more feelings than me. I cry during commercials. Like, I'm that person that's just like, I cry for all the time, everything. I mean, my God, I've cried nine times today. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church. It's fine. You'll be fine. Person online, it's going to be great. You're doing great. Feelings are good, but they're not God. They're like indicator lights on your car telling you what's wrong and what the real root issue is. If you're feeling hopeless today, ask yourself, is my sadness, is my hopelessness surrendered at the cross? And how do you surrender that? You go back to his word. And God, what do you say about this situation? Okay, here we go. We keep going. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would still be alive. And when Jesus saw Mary's profound grief and moaning and weeping of her companions, he wept. Where have you laid his body? To jump down to 37. But others were so skeptical. If this man can give sight to the blind, he could have kept him from dying. Oh, dumb people. Then Jesus, who was intensely troubled by all of this. Guys, Jesus was intensely troubled. The King of kings and Lord of lords was intensely troubled. If you're in this room today and you're feeling intensely troubled, please know that Jesus has been there and he is the compass to draw you back. When Jesus, who was intensely troubled by all of this, approached the tomb, a small cave covered by a massive stone, he said, remove that stone. Remove the stone. Sounds a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen in two weeks. He tells everybody, remove the stone. Because in two weeks, they're going to be super sad. They're going to be super, super hopeless. And I hope that maybe just one of them would go, uh-uh-uh-uh. He removed the stone. Some of you are standing in front of a, a stone that hasn't been removed yet. And it hasn't been removed because you forgot that he can remove it. And you're standing in front there with all your strength. You've even called some friends in to remove this stone. And Jesus is just waiting for you to move so he can remove it in your life. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The stench will be unbearable. Remember, I told you that if you believe, you will see the glory. And they removed the stone. And when they removed the stone, listen closely, Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven. Father, I am grateful that you have heard me. I know that you are always listening, but I proclaim it loudly so that everyone here will believe that you have sent me. Father, I am grateful. He was rooted in the word. His feelings were surrendered. And Jesus was grateful, thanked. That's the other thing Jesus did. Pastor Stavon a couple weeks ago talked about having a grateful heart. Hopelessness cannot thrive in the soil of gratitude. Hopelessness cannot thrive in the soil of gratitude. I was standing in that line. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that I have the money to book another flight if I have to. Thank you, God, that my husband's on the phone with Delta. Thank you, God, that I found a corner that had a, bunch of, that had a really comfortable bench that I could sleep in. 
Thank you, Lord, that there was this really great place that I could get a massage. I don't get massages. I think that that's bougie for no reason. But in that moment, I was like, this is going to be cool. I never do this. This would be fun. And I just started to thank God. Thank you, Lord, that I got to watch the new Ghostbusters in first class, God, that they upgraded me. And I didn't realize that the day that they upgraded me, I was going to sit for four hours on a tarmac. Think about that. I got upgraded to first class. Don't know why. And then I sat for four hours on a tarmac. The Lord knew. He knows. He knows I'm claustrophobic. He knows I got germ issues. And he knew, what's, he knew I was going to be sitting in a storm, but I was going to be comfortable. And I, during that storm, they literally were like, hey, we can't move. Every plane here is grounded. The captain comes over the thing. We cannot move. We're going to stay right here on this tarmac. And I was like, okay, maybe I, maybe I need to start praying. Literally, I was like, okay, God, do I need to start praying? Or do I need to start reading my Bible? I started to panic a little bit. And the Lord said, no, just look. They have that movie you've been wanting to watch. But God really cares about us. Even in the stupid things that you think are not important. I was like, that's true, Jesus. I did want to watch the new Ghostbusters. It was really good. He cares down to the tiny little stupidest thing that you think is dumb. And he also cares about the things that you've been praying for and believing for and hoping for. He cares about all of it. And guys, hopelessness cannot thrive in the soil of gratitude. So if you're feeling hopeless today, ask yourself, am I walking out gratitude? He rolled that stone. and He thanked his father. For me, hopelessness felt very real, and I had to practice what I preach. This is, I literally did this. I had to root myself in God's word, surrender my feelings, and remain grateful. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had to do this. In moments where I have felt overwhelmed, in moments where I have dealt with extreme loss. I mean, Esteban and I have been dealing with extreme loss for the last year and a half. Stuff you guys don't even know. And we, we sat down and wrote down all the things we were grateful about. Thank you, God, for what you taught me here. Thank you, God, for these friends that you brought in that season. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Hopelessness cannot live in the soil of gratitude. And so I encourage you today, as we head into a holy week, as a man is saying, Hosanna, 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 you wouldn't focus on man and you'd focus on Jesus. Because his hope is forever. Hope is found in the waiting. Hope is found in Jesus' kind words that remind us who he is. <laughs> hope is found in surrendered feelings. Hope is found in a thankful heart. And that's my hope for you today, that you would abound in hope. I'm going to ask Sarah Kate to come up. And if some of you are sitting in here and you're still feeling hopeless, I have found in my life as a professional Christian that most people feel hopeless because they've never actually experienced Jesus. They, they might have met him in passing in a church, but th what they've experienced is his bride. And sometimes his bride is a messy, hot mess. I think of the bride of Christ sometimes like a millennial bride on Instagram. You know which one I'm talking about. The one that only cares about 
uh, like Bachelorette weekend. Look at me. You know what I mean? Like, you ever seen that? You ever seen those like those Instagram brides that are just like bridezillas and they're just like, look at all my colors. It's amazing. Look at all the TikToks I did. But their marriage ends in six months because they didn't care about the marriage. They only cared about the wedding. I feel like the bride of Christ has turned into that. And if that's the Jesus you have encountered, I'm so sorry. Can I just say that? I'm so sorry. That's not who the bride is. If you've only experienced that bride, can I just apologize right now on behalf of his people and just say that the Jesus who's calling his bride back to purity and holiness, that's not the bride he was hoping for. And so I just want to say, if you haven't experienced the Jesus that I'm talking about, if you have a stone that needs to be rolled away today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And we as a church, we're going to pray it together. And my hope is that you feel that the stone gets rolled away and that you're able to walk out this life with hope, with gratitude, with joy, and with peace. So let's pray this together as a church. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to please forgive my sins. I believe in my heart that Jesus is your son. That he died for me on the cross. And that he raised me back to life. Jesus, I declare that you are my Lord. I open my heart to you. Change me. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to be more like you. To do your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening uh, to the podcast. I hope that this message inspired you and that you leave, um, I don't know, encouraged. Encouraged to continue to make Jesus famous in your world. And uh, yeah, just know I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you. And uh, let's, um, I don't know, stay in touch. Send me a DM. Let me know how this message blessed you. And um, if you could be so kind, uh, leave me a review on the podcast. Uh, So whether it's on Apple or whether it's Spotify, I'd love to hear from you. All right, guys. uh, I'll talk to you later. Love you, weirdos.